0: We're going to take a look at a a portion of God's Word. Uh, I don't know if you spend a lot of time on it. I'd like to read it a lot. It's uh, 2 Peter. How many of you are familiar with 2 Peter? It's kind of a really short book. Uh, If you don't like to read a lot, you read it fast in a couple of sittings. It's real quick. But before we take a look at at verse 1, as we try to do, we try to figure out the due diligence, why it was written, what was going on at that time, what was the motivation behind Peter writing it. So let's look at, at Peter first, which is kind of the whole theme of the, this book. How was Peter in his younger days? Pretty impetuous. The only time he opened his mouth was to change feet. He was not, he was overconfident. He was not willing to be taught very well. He's the one that kind of just jumped ahead of what God was doing. He's the one who said, let's build three tents. Remember Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Let's just build three tents. Matthew 17, 4, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. What did Jesus say? No, we're not going to do that. We're not going to stay in the mountaintop. We've got to go back down with the folks. Then he was the one that didn't want Jesus to be crucified. Matthew 16 says, Peter took him inside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have the mind of things of God, but the things of men. He was always jumping ahead of God, always assuming what God wanted to do. He was also the one that wanted to fight. He he cut off the ear of the servant in John 18.10. It says, Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. So here was a guy who had a lot of zeal, but not a lot of knowledge. How many of you have been there? When you've been there, you open your mouth and you say things you shouldn't say and do things you shouldn't do. I've done it. When I was a young Christian, I would do and say things that were... I look back on them now and think, ah, that was stupid. So he was the one who denied Jesus three times. And doesn't Jesus make it a point to find him specifically? Go tell the apostles and Peter. Because Jesus knew what Peter could be, not what he was at that moment Peter slept when he should have been praying he talked when he should have listened he was a courageous but careless Christian when people ask me who can you identify with in the Bible the most I'm gonna say Peter because if you look back in my life you can see things that I just you know I wish I could change it I really messed up here I wish I could change it how many look back in your life and you can identify with Peter? The things you did, man, you shouldn't have done them. Wish you could change, wish you can go back and change them. Maybe it was things you did after you became a Christian. You just wish you could go back and change. Or maybe it was something you did before you became a Christian. And you wish you could look at the, your sinful life and wish you could just go back and change them. So now we have Peter as a young guy who makes a lot of mistakes. Goofy. Just off the mark a lot of times, but now he's writing Second Peter, he's an old guy now. He had learned his lessons over the years, and now he's a mature believer. How many have matured? Hopefully we all mature, right? We all mature in, in the Lord. If we're the same as we was when we first got saved, something's not right. We have to continue to grow and mature, and he had done that. He had been through a lot. And what he does, he first sits down and writes the 1 Peter book. And 1 Peter was about, written around 65 AD. And that book emphasizes the grace amidst suffering. Now, how many realize that Peter experienced a lot of grace when he was walking with Jesus? Every time he's putting his foot in his mouth, Jesus was extending him grace. And now, in 1 Peter, he's writing to people who are suffering physically. And he writes this book about God's grace sustaining them through that, In 1 Peter five ten, It says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of god stand fast in it so he's encouraging them through suffering he's encouraging them to stick it out how many have ever been felt like throwing in the towel i was talking to mary this morning and we have one of her friends was struggling he says you know i just want to quit because everything seems to be going wrong for him peter's thing is stick it out stay with it god will give you the grace to make it through what did he said to Paul about the thorn in the flesh, I'm not going to heal that right now. I'm not going to take it away. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace will help you through whatever struggle you're in now. Don't quit. So, now about a year later, he writes this second letter. The second letter he's writing is going to be his last letter, the last thing he communicates before he's gonna be executed. This is his swan song, 2 Peter 1.13 says, I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. He's writing back to these people that he knew as friends. He started that church. He was there to encourage them through their hard times now his life is coming to an end what would you want to do what would you want to say to people if you knew your life was coming to an end if you knew your life was gonna end shortly it doesn't say how long wouldn't you want to just try to teach them as much as you could for as, as long a time as you had and that's what he was trying to do Peter wants to be around other christians he wants to be around like-minded people if this is your last month on earth don't you want to kind of spend it with christian brothers and sisters your family you want to be around people that have the like mind maybe to encourage you as you face that part in your life as you get older you want to you want to impart your wisdom whatever you've acquired over the years to your kids to you to your church all the things that you've learned whatever they might be, you want to teach them. You, want to get, you, you don't want to die with them. You want to give them out. You want to tell them. And that's exactly what he's doing to this church. He's encouraging them. He's basically reminding them of things they've already been taught, but sometimes they need to be reminded. He wants to encourage them. He wants to give them his years of wisdom, learning from Peter's mistakes so that they don't have to do them. That's what this letter is about. And he starts out in verse 1 the same way that most authors start out Says, 2 Peter 1.1 1, 1 says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. He's writing to people he knew, he had a relationship with. And the way they, they wrote their letters, that instead of signing them at the end, they signed them at the beginning. But along with the, his name, he puts next to it his relationship with God. He wants them to remember him not as just their friend he wants them to remember him as being a servant and Apostle of Christ what do you want people to remember about you do you want the first thing to come to their mind when they mention your name man he loved Jesus Man, she served God that's what I hope our lives are like that people will sometimes say something similar about you what's the first thing that comes to their mind Peter wanted to remind those who read this letter to understand not only who he was but whose he was. Do we focus our life to people when they talk about you? do Do they first think that you're a great Christian or do they think something else? So Peter wanted to ground that in their mind as well. To remember him not only for what he suffered or what he was going through. Remember me as a servant of God the verse goes on and it says to those who through the righteousness of our god and savior jesus christ have received a faith as precious to ours he's writing to a group of people that are his friends people he has a relationship with people he's already written to before in in second peter chapter 3 verse 1 says dear friends this is now my second letter to you now we don't know no commentary is sure that this refers to the first letter that we have in our bible but it doesn't matter because he's he has a relationship somebody who continues to write with has a communication with he's communicated with them at least twice he knows that they're believers and he knows that they share the same faith that he has when you're facing that situation you're facing death which is Peter was don't you want to have people around you to encourage you to maybe help you in your struggles last Epistle he wrote, he was encouraging them through their suffering. Now maybe he's wanting them to encourage him. Be around people that encourage you to lift you up, to help you through those difficult times. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians one that the stuff that we suffer now, the things that we go through now, once we get through them, we're to use what we've learned in that hardship to help those who may be facing it now. When I think i've shared this before when i went to the hospital visit for one of my first times there was a lady suffering i think with cancer and and i went in to pray with her and i said something that i shouldn't have said i said i know how you feel guess what i don't know how she feels but somebody who has had cancer can go in and say i know how you feel that's what second corinthians 1 tells us that we're supposed to use the sufferings to encourage one another to encourage them to say I know how you feel I know what you're going through and so Peter when he's facing this death penalty in his life he wants not only to tell them hey look I've been suffering too just like you guys are I need your encouragement as well if my last communication with someone I'd want to tell them as much as I could about things that were important to me which is exactly what he's doing this is his last chance to teach him and he wants to leave them with as much knowledge and experience that he's had, that he has. It's his last chance to maybe have an effect on someone in his life. You know, I've been a lot of deathbeds, people who are gonna die soon. You can tell the difference between someone who's a Christian and someone who's not a Christian. The people who are really strong believers, they're okay with where they are. They have a peace, they have a comfort about it people who don't know Christ and have no relationship are fearful they're worried they're anxious they're mad why because they don't have the peace that God gives them and right now Peter wants to impart to them as much as he can as long as he can so that they have that same peace and understanding that he has as he's writing this letter so verse 2 says grace and peace be abundance Be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants them to experience the same grace and peace that he's experienced over the years. He started out as a young, brash guy. Now he's an older guy, facing his his, end of his life. And he wants them to experience what he's experienced. And as mature Christians, don't we want that for our friends and family? We want them to experience what we've experienced unfortunately sometimes the only way to experience that grace and, and peace and mercy is to be in a situation where you need it rather than someone telling it to you what's the adage you give a man a fish he eats for a day you teach a man to fish he eats for a lifetime it's easier to understand God's mercy and grace if you've been in the pit more than if someone's telling you about how it is in the pit see what I'm saying if I'm trying to explain God's mercy and grace to someone who's never really needed it their life has always been okay they've been blessed and trying to explain how God's grace and mercy it's kind of hard for them to receive it but now if you remember back in first Peter he's telling them to endure through grace and suffering he wants them to endure and he's telling them now I want it to be yours in abundance I want you to experience what I've experienced in the past 30 40 years of my life I want you to have the same thing he received grace when Jesus called him back when he denied him three times first Peter talks about having peace in the midst of suffering he wants them to have the same thing and as parents don't when we get older don't we want our kids to have the same knowledge that we have we want to impart to them as much as we can As long as we can. But sometimes it's hard to do that because they have to experience it themselves. How many of you, when you were kids, your parents or your dad would tell you, Don't do this. And you wouldn't listen to them, and you did it anyways. And the things he said would happen to you happened. But you didn't believe him. Until you did it until you actually did it and it happened to you he wants them to avoid this he says I want you to avoid this I want you to have grace and peace and abundance now that's why he goes on to the next part of that verse and he says how how do you get this how do you get this abundance of grace and peace that I have through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ The only way you can really experience God's peace and presence is if you know God's Word if you study God's Word if you know it if you have that relationship with him it's kind of hard to get that in the middle of a suffering if you're not familiar with it there's no cramming for God's testing how many understand that if you haven't been in God's Word you don't read and you don't pray and then something bad comes up in your life it's very hard To dig back in and find the scriptures that you need for that particular moment. However, if you read and if you study and through your knowledge of God, you may not remember them at that particular moment, but God will bring them to your mind when you need them. And he says, the way you get grace and and peace is because you already know God's word. How many here know algebra? I many like algebra? I like, I liked algebra. I like geometry, I like that kind of stuff. When I try to do homework, either with my kids or my grandkids, it takes a while to get that clicking again, right? But once it does, it comes back. Be- why? Because you knew it from years gone by. It may take a little bit, but it's going to be there. The same thing with God's Word. If you know it, if you study it, you may not ye- need it or use it for years. But something comes up, God's going to bring that back to your mind. And that's the only way you're going to experience it. There's a phrase that says, God does not work in a vacuum. So I try to take a test, never having studied for the exam. You can't have grace and peace from God through his word. If you don't have it, you're going to try to find it from somebody else. And the problem with that is you can't really get it from anybody else. You can get encouragement, but you can't experience grace and peace from somebody else. Because God has to work through your spirit, through your heart. You can't get peace from me. You can't get peace from your parents. You can't get peace from your friends. You can only get peace when you know what God has to say. Because there's going to be a time where I'm not here, parents aren't here, friends aren't here. Where are you going to go? God is always there. God is the one that's going to give you the wisdom and the peace that you need. The only way to receive it is that we know what God says about it. What I say to you may last for a moment. It may last until you leave this morning. Maybe for a day. But God's word is going to stick in your spirit. God's word is going to stay there. Whether you remember it at that moment or not, it will come back to you. Peter's trying to tell them, hey, I'm your friend. I helped you grow as a Christian, but don't look to me for your grace and peace. Look to God's word for it, because I'm not going to be here. Verse 3 says, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. What things has God given to us as believers? What has God given you that enables you to live the life that you know to be godly? What, what is today? In Christian? Pentecost Sunday, right? Pentecost Sunday, what happens at Pentecost? The Holy Spirit baptizes believers and gives them giftings and abilities to live the Christian life. More like extra juice you just get filled with God's Spirit and you have that anointing and you live the Christian life God gives you the ability to do that now how do you experience that personally here's an, here's an I don't want I don't want to say this as an experiment but I'm gonna tell you what happens when you go without reading you go without praying what happens to you spiritually you become weak when situations come up the words, the, God's word doesn't come back to you as quick as it did. You, you begin to doubt. You become fearful. However, when you do study and you do read and something comes up in your life, what happens? You're able to win. God brings it back to you. God's able to, to complete that. The Holy Spirit fills you with what you need to live the life. When you don't read and pray, it becomes easier to do things you know you shouldn't do. I said this on Wednesday night, I think that a lie is an ever-present help in time of trouble. I mean, you know that God's Word doesn't say that, right? However, when you're in a situation where that might be true, the more you're studied, the less chance you're going to have to actually tell that little white lie. The less you are studied, the the less you spend time with God, the easier it's going to be to let that lie come right out of your mouth. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us all the gifts that every believer has access to. Not all of them. We don't have all of them, but everybody has some of them. But notice how it's phrased. It says God has divine power that he imparts for us to live how he wants and act like he wants us to act, not like we want to act. And the way we receive the power is how? Through the knowledge of God. You receive God's power, God's ability, everything you need for life and godliness, what? Through our knowledge of Him. And again, we're back to the beginning. How do we get our knowledge of God? Through the Word. For, uh, 2 Peter 1.4. It says, Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises, so, to, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. It starts out by saying through these. Not through what? Through God's glory and through God's goodness, through those things God has given us. That's what He has enabled us through because He is glorious and He is good to us. We have great promises because they are not just promises, but they're promises from God. That makes them great. We have precious promises because they are valuable to us because God makes them. The promises are in God's Word, and if we don't have God's Word about these promises, then we will lose our ability to claim them. If you don't know what the promises are, how can you claim them? How can you apply them to your life? God's Word should be precious to us. Now, in the U.S., there's Bibles everywhere. I mean, you can't, can't swing a dead cat without hitting a Bible somewhere. They're everywhere. But if you remember that video we showed a while ago about the Chinese people who had their first glimpse at a Bible, they were just opening it up it's like they hadn't eaten in a year, and they were opening this Word up and hugging it and kissing it because they knew how precious it was to them. And we take God's Word sometimes for granted because it's, we can get it anywhere and everywhere. When we come to know Christ, we now have His of my nature. It doesn't mean we're little gods. It means that God through the Holy Spirit imparts his nature to us. Children acquire the nature of their parents, correct? How many of you have kids? And how many of you realize your kids are just like you? Good or bad, right? They're just like you. as Christians we have the nature of our father through his word we witness his character his behavior and through God's word we adopt his nature the more you study God's word the more you become like God just like regular life as children children learn what you do the way you act the way you talk the way you behave is how they're going to talk act and behave as well they will have your nature the do as I say not as I do does not work we said it before more is caught than taught they will be what you are not what you tell them to be they notice and they become like you how you act the more we more we know God's Word the more we're able to act like our father the less we study God's Word the more we're going to act like ourselves nature dictates behavior what's our nature are you an extrovert that's going to dictate how you live if you're an introvert it's going to dictate how you live what is your nature animals have nature what they're what they're natural to lions eat meat sheep eat grass eagles fly fish swim they all have their nature they don't cross unbelievers also have their nature first Corinthians 2 14 says But people who aren't christians can't understand these truths from god's spirit it all sounds foolish to them because only those who have the spirit can understand what the spirit means so unbelievers have a nature and sometimes if you've been a believer a long time you forget what it's like to not know christ for things that sound so easy and simple and obvious to us the bible says they can't understand it they're blinded. they really don't understand and It takes us sharing Christ with them. And once they come to know Christ, it's like a light bulb goes off in their head. Now they get it. But we have to understand that when we share with them, sometimes we're just talking Greek to them. They don't understand it. That's their nature. Christians have a nature. 1 Corinthians 2.10 says, But we know that these things because God has revealed them to us by his Spirit. And his Spirit searches out everything and shows us even God's deep secrets. We have our Father's nature. We have God's nature if we know His Word, if we not only just know His Word, but what? Do it as well. God's Word and His nature allows us to do what? When we become like Christ and we know what God's Word says, we have the nature of God in us. What does it help us do? Verse 4 says, it helps us to escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. The more we g- know God, the less interest we're going to have in the things that are sinful. The less interest we'll have in the things that take us away from God. When, I, uh, when you get married, as a single person, you have different interests. You have what you want to do, what your life is like what you want to do. You get married and you have kids. Now what happens? Your whole interest changes. Everything that you want to do or wanted to do back in your teens and 20s that all fades away and now you have a new interest you have a new desire you have a new goal and when you become a Christian and study God's Word that's the same thing that happens all the Bible says the old is gone the new has come the things that you used to do the things that you knew you shouldn't be doing as you study God's Word those things will eventually fade away as you get older your interests change your desires the things you want to do change When I was a younger guy, I used to like roller coasters, a lot. I can't do them much anymore. Things that I used to like in my 20s and 30s are changing. Why? Because I'm changing. As we as Christians change the things that we used to do that God says it's time to get rid of those. It's time to put them aside. Because you have now different interests, different natures, things that you want to do. When you become a parent, all the things you want to do as a young couple ends. I mean, it ends, right? We went to dinner the other night with Taylor, and, and Anna's family was in, and a whole bunch of us there, and they brought the baby with them. And uh, you know, he's, you know, he's a little over one, so he's being a one-year-old. And she says, we're done with this. When this new baby comes, we are not going to dinner anymore. Out, We're not going out in public anymore. It's just too hard. We're not doing it. <laughs> Why? Because you're, now your interests change. You mature. When you become like Christ, things that you used to do, things you used to like to do, are going to drop off if you study God's Word. Now, we all know parents that still act like they're 20 when they're 50. There's a, there's a poster going around or a meme on Facebook that, talking about preachers. It says... Um, says, you're 65, quit dressing like Justin Bieber. <laughs> so, you don't, you, don't, you don't do the things that you used to do because your interest in your nature changes. The more we study God's word, the less interest we'll have in the things that are going on around us. Remember what we said at the outset, Peter knows this is his last chance to share with the people he has a relationship with. He wants to tell them as much information as possible to encourage them before his time is up. Why? To make their lives better. And don't we, don't parents want to do that? Don't you want to do that with your friends? You want to tell them all the mistakes you made, all the things you know, the things you've acquired over the years to, so that they don't experience what you had to go through. My dad I remember when we were kids, my dad was a World War II guy, and I was of age when Vietnam was going on. In fact, I just turned 18 in 75 when it ended. But he would tell me, and I don't know if I agree with this now, but at the time he says, you know, if they call you, you're going to Canada. You remember that? Yeah. People who didn't want to serve? He knew what it was like for war. And he did not want his kids going there. Why? Because he knew it. And don't you as parents want to spare your children the hardships that you had? That's what Peter's trying to do to these guys. Look, I know what it's like to be where you are. I know what you're going through. I've been there, done that. Let me tell you how to avoid it. Let me tell you how to not have to have the struggles that I had. Listen to what I'm saying in this letter. Whatever wisdom and knowledge we've acquired over the years, we want to be a blessing to those that are coming up behind us. And that's why we had the, the missionette thing last week. We're training them, training the young people and the youth to be what God's called them to be. They may not experience the same thing we've done or experienced, but we want them to be ready to be used by God whenever that time comes. And as much as we can teach them and train them, we want to do it. We want those we love to experience the blessings that we have, and we want them to avoid the problems we faced. Now, next week, we're going to look at how Peter says that we can avoid that corruption, along with studying God's Word. But the heart of Peter is he wants to pour himself out to this, this next generation that's coming up. And that's what we want to do as, as Christians, individual. As well as the church, we want to be able to prepare them and pour ourselves, whatever we've got time left, we want to pour it into them so that when we're gone, they're ready. they're ready to face whatever comes their way, and we're teach them, we' train them to get to the point where God OK, it's your turn now. let's go. Would you stand as we close this morning? Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? You know, as I look around, I, I see familiar faces. But you can never assume that people who normally come to church all the time already have that relationship. You always have to open the door to them. Maybe you're here this morning. You've been in church a lot of years. But you don't, you don't have that relationship. You don't have the knowledge that others seem to have. You just, you're in doubt about your relationship. You're in doubt about what's going to happen to you if, if, when in, you die. You're not sure. Well, The Bible says that God's word is written that you may know you have eternal life. If you're in doubt... That probably means you don't have the relationship if that's you it's only by God's will that you're here this morning to hear that information you may have been raised with this you may have had this all your life but you never did it you never made the choice the Bible says you have to make the choice So if you're here and you want to make that choice, you want to say, yes, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I believe that my sins were paid for by you. And I'm accepting what you've done on the cross for me, for me personally. I want that relationship. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Father, we do thank you. We thank you, Father, for calling us from where we were to where we are now. Thank you for saving us. We thank you for giving us your word that helps us to live the life that we really want to live anyways, but find it difficult without your help. I pray that you'd fill each one here with your spirit as we celebrate Pentecost today, that you would fill us with your spirit, that the Holy Spirit just descend upon this place, fill us to overflowing with the power of God to live the life that you want us to live. And Father, we know that when we live that life, our life will be blessed. Our life will have the grace and peace abounding that Peter said. Help us to know your word. Help your word to sink in our spirit, in our hearts, in our minds, so that any and every point that we need something from God, your word comes back. I pray your blessings upon each person here today. Encourage them as we leave. Allow them to experience you, not just here, but every hour of every day. We need you. So Lord, I pray you'd fill us and allow us to experience that presence every day. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you Wednesday and then the following Sunday.